Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we review my co-host Julie Littlechild's newly released research on investor sentiment, one of the first studies to be released gauging the effects of the pandemic on your clients. Julie Littlechild has worked with and studied advisors and their clients for 25 years. She launched and ran one of the industry's leading research firms focused on client engagement. She founded and now runs Absolute Engagement, a firm utilizing direct input from clients to drive engagement and growth. She writes a popular blog, wrote a book also called Absolute Engagement, and maybe most significantly is my co-host on the podcast, Becoming Referrable. Julie's been studying investors and their relationships with advisors since 2008 with the release of her first version of the study, The Economics of Loyalty. She's updated the, the, um, the research almost every year. Last year's study was based on data that was collected just before the pandemic started. And so this year's study provides fresh insights about client concerns and expectations of their advisor. We discuss how clients' outlook has changed. We review how clients feel about how well their advisors supported them through the pandemic. And we dig into some specifics and ways that expectations have changed, including things like the frequency of meetings and how they feel about virtual meetings. We frequently talk on the show about the importance of staying in touch with what clients need and want and how they periodically change and how this past year has changed many of those expectations like never before. I know you'll get a lot out of this episode. So here now is my conversation with my co-host, Julie Littlechild. Well, Julie, I'm very excited for this conversation today because uh, I know you have been uh, very busy in your firm. Um, for, for those of you who... Um, who don't know this, Julie, um, one of Julie's claim to fame is that uh, she's, she does investor research and has come out with a series of studies all the way back to 2008, um, asking investors and clients about their perceptions of what we do for them. And, and uh, you have just wrapped up a new version of that, an updated version of that study. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we, yeah, we've been doing this almost every year and it's been particularly pertinent over the last couple of years. The, uh, I don't know if you recall, I'm sure we talked at the time last year, we did our investor research. Uh, it went into field on March 10th and we had really no clue uh, about what was about to happen. Right. Uh, right. I, I, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I certainly <laughs> really did not. And so it was in field from the 10th to 24th and it ended up being this kind of rare gift in retrospect where you thought, wow, we really, you know, we get to look at this very unique period in, uh, in time. And so uh, obviously was keen to look at this year, this year, looking back, we were able to ask some very targeted questions about the pandemic since now we knew what actually did happen. So it's been an interesting right. time to talk to investors for sure. Yeah. So how, how long, so last year's version, how, how long was that in the field? Like what, how long, how many, um, how much time did people have to answer the questions so that they, you know, they might be, have been affected by the concerns about what was coming? Well, we, we always go, it's in field for about two weeks, and that, that's the same every year. Um, but what was really interesting last year is that we, I've never done this before, but we cut the data based on when they responded. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so we had these 
three groups. It was like March 10th, 11th, and so on and so forth. And um, and you could see differences within the two weeks. And that that to me was in and of itself, maybe one of the more compelling findings. And I think we see this theme kind of working its way through this year as well, that that needs and expectations and concerns are fluid, right? And, and so the fact that we could see data changing uh, over that period of time was just an indicator in my mind. Um, and I know you'll agree with me on this, that we need to keep our finger on the pulse of how clients are feeling. Sure. Especially during a worldwide pandemic. So keep that in mind, listeners. If there's a global <laughs> pandemic, make sure you keep in touch with your clients. Um, <laughs> um, so so let's let's take a look at what you what you learned this year. So let's let's just start with the easy upfront stuff. Um, how did how did people uh, what what kind of financial impact did people express um, since the pandemic? Yeah. So we um, just for context, and we'll we'll get into this. We we really focused on client experience a lot, as you can mm. imagine, like what has changed, what has evolved, how were people feeling? And uh, and you're right, sort of one of the simple questions we asked was just what has the uh, financial impact been? And what we saw there was actually a very normal distribution in a way. So about 45% said no impact at all. 29% said it was actually somewhat to strongly positive. And we know there's a group of individuals who've benefited. Um, And then 26% said it had been somewhat or strongly negative. So I don't know that the biggest finding in a way was around financial impact. It just impacted people in different ways that, sure. you know, they were worried about other things, I suppose. Yeah. Well, based on what we've been hearing from out in the field, I wouldn't have expected people to be talking about a big financial impact, but that's a logical place to start. So, yeah. so people, you know, have a, a fairly muted response. I mean, a, a fairly easily expected response mm-hmm. on, on the financial stuff. So one of the things that you asked about as well is what's their outlook. So if they had a, a you know, fairly muted response on the financial impact. Was that, is that what you found about the outlook as well? Well, there, when we began to say a little more broadly, right, how did, how has the, the pandemic impacted how you think about your financial future? It's a very different question, but there, and again, maybe expected, but good to see the numbers. They said, yes, much to a much higher degree. So about, 69% 69% of clients said there it was either sort of a, a, a neutral change, but some change or right up to a significant impact. Uh, only 31% of clients rated a, sort of one or two on that question, which was quite low. So, you know, they were telling us that, yeah, irrespective of whether the financial impact was positive, negative, or neutral, this experience has changed how I think about my financial future. Yeah, and that's you know the my, the data that I get is yeah anecdotal because I deal with those tiny little groups of advisory boards, but right. that's kind of like what we were hearing too. We're hearing a lot of people talk about looking at the future in a different way, and it's interesting because when we ask about that, we find that people are you know a lot of people are thinking differently about the future, but how they're thinking differently is very different from client base to client base. But what yeah. what kinds of things did you find on the survey about? how people are thinking differently about the future. Yeah, well, actually, and you just made a a really important point, I think, which is that the way in which people have impacted is so significantly different, almost to the point of 
we we can't necessarily say on average, you know, here's how clients are responding. Right. On sure. average, here's what they're interested in. And and to me, again, the the underlying theme there is that we can't make assumptions, that we've got clients who are experiencing things in very different ways. And all of this, in my mind, just reinforces our need to not make assumptions and to talk to clients. I can tell you that when we asked um, how they're preparing differently for their uh, for the future, given that things had changed, um, the, the highest percentage, which was still only about 27% in this case, said they're going to spend less overall. Um, and almost as many said they're going to update their plan or update their will. So, uh, you know, the reality is that for many of these clients, these things were already taken care of, or we hope they, because right, everyone in right. our sample worked with a financial advisor. So I think we have to have that context here. But but again, I mean, that was the responses ranged from spending less to reviewing my beneficiaries to giving more to charity to increasing insurance. But but what we do know is that a majority of them said something was going to change. Right. And those right, some things sure. were all related to their plan and their future. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I, I'll just reiterate that point that you just made, because I, I see that really <clears throat> really clearly that, you know, if if you are an advisor, you know, and you have some consistency in your client base, if your clients, you know, are of a specific age range or in a specific, you know, professional area or something like that, mm -hmm. that it's really important that that you get them together and either survey them or bring them together as a board and, and even, you know, make it a standard question on your review meetings or something like that, because there are going to be individual differences as well. But a lot of people are, are, are not thinking about the future as drastically different, but a fair number of them are thinking differently about the future. And you'll want to know that as an advisor. And maybe help them do that, right? Well, that's you a good know, point. Sure. Maybe, yeah. maybe help them think that through uh, and articulate how things might change. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, in, also in the report, you talk about what you what you call the real impact of the global pandemic. And and so, what do you mean by that? What kinds of things did you find out by asking that question? Well, I think this just gets to sort of the humanity of what we've all experienced over the last uh, eighteen months or so. And so, you know, was the financial impact? It was muted. How are people responding on some of those planning elements? Yep, they're taking some actions for sure. But 62% uh, of uh, respondents said that their behaviors or their feelings have changed. And to me, this is sort of the rich area of inquiry now to dig a little deeper. Um, so for example, a quarter of clients said, what's important to me has changed, right? 20% said, I'm worrying more about my financial future. 19%, I want to do things differently in retirement. And to me, you know, this is really getting to the heart of um, not only what has changed, but I think how advisors can help because all of these things have an impact on how they invest and how they plan, right? So if we're not having those conversations, it's incredibly important that we do. Yeah. <clears throat> Excellent. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so let, let's so let's get to what what our listeners really care about, which is <laughs> what do clients think of them. Um, so you asked a few questions about 
um, how uh, how how would, uh, clients' perceptions of how advisors did during the pandemic, what were some of the responses there? What did you see? So we also asked uh, clients just to put this question that you asked in a bit of context, you know, like, what are they worried about? What are their advisors talking to them about? And I think that's sort of important context here. And, you know, one of the things that we found is that clients are, you know, this might be a blinding flash of the obvious, but they're still vulnerable. There's still uncertainty. So, you know, the number one concern, personal and family health. That is the topic that came up last year, but 72%, right? Big number said they're somewhat or very concerned. They said they're concerned uh, about market uncertainty. So even though they haven't necessarily seen it in the way that they thought, it's still a concern. Interesting. They're concerned about helping their kids make good financial decisions, job security for their children, like all of these and more actually were rated really high. So we've got this context of, worry, this context of I'm thinking differently and what's important to me has changed. And then also what I what I found really interesting is that only 35% of them said their advisor had asked them how the pandemic had changed how they think about the future. And I thought, wow, because to me, you know, I think that should be a hundred percent person. Sure. Um, yeah. Now look, granted, they may have forgotten. It may have been a conversation. Like, I think we have to take all of that right. into account. Or, or they may not have asked it that way. And exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I, I've got to give the industry credit because I know how hard everyone has been working, but, um, but I did think that that was still relatively low. Now the context though, is that, they were actually pretty happy (laughs) with how advisors supported them. So 62% said they were very satisfied with the support that their advisor provided another 25% somewhat satisfied, right? So very little dissatisfaction there, which I think again, like as an industry, right. Pat ourselves on the back and I'll pat them on the back in this case. So we got really good marks on that, but you know, this kind of data, given the context of what we just shared, um, and given that so few said their advisor had talked to them about some of these issues, it does make me think about the fact that often uh, how it, how clients rate their advisory relationship is is so informed by expectations. Right. So if I don't see this as the role of my advisor to maybe delve into some of these issues. I'm not going to be dissatisfied that it didn't happen. Um, it's a bit like saying, you know, can you rate your neighbors? And I say, oh my goodness, they're awesome people. They're wonderful <laughs> because I have no expectations. Right. But if I found, you know, <clears throat> they come and shovel my driveway. Now I'm, you know, I didn't right. expect that. Exactly. But, but <clears throat> wow, do I value that and appreciate that. So, exactly. So I think we've got to look at all of this in the context of, um, you know, there's still opportunity. Hey, it's Steve. 
We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but first I'd like to make you an offer. Every week I send out a tip or an idea to help you become more referable. It might be something I picked up during an advisory board meeting. It might be an idea from one of our amazing guests. Every other week I announce a new interview on the podcast, so never miss an episode. Or maybe it's something I picked up from a new research report and I deliver it right to your inbox. Would you like to become a little more referable each week? Then send an email to steve at theclientdrivenpractice.com and I'll even throw in my latest alert, five reasons you need to listen to your clients now before someone else does. Just put five reasons in the subject line. That's steve at theclientdrivenpractice.com and put five reasons in the subject line. And I'll send you your free guide right away and then a little tip about how to become more referable every week. Now, back to the show. When you ask a client about how much value their advisors deliver, there's not really a ceiling on that, right? It, the, right. The, the people can say, oh, they're, they're great, they're wonderful to work with without realizing that you know the, the, the advisor potentially could be doing things that would raise that ceiling so much higher that people could be so much more loyal and excited about them and as you know, we talk about on the podcast, so much more referable mm-hmm. um, by by doing things that are you know that are unexpected. So you know, for example, you you just said a few minutes ago that that sixty three percent of people um, had job security for their children mm-hmm. as one of their one of you know something that has changed in their level of concern. I heard that kind of thing in a um, <clears throat> in an advisory board where we were asking questions related to that, and one woman mm-hmm. said because of the housing boom and because of how much prices have been going up, I had to go in and help my children purchase their first house or their next house Mm -hmm. or something like that. And we did it as sort of an advance on their inheritance. Well, you know, and and she said, well, maybe you could give me some advice on how best to do that. Well, you know, many advisors wouldn't think about that. Mm -hmm. And many clients wouldn't necessarily think to ask their advisor about that kind of thing. But it goes to the point that you made before about digging in and asking what's changed and what's 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 new and, and, you know, on their minds and those kinds of things to uncover some of those things that neither advisor nor client would necessarily think of, but that the advisor could really actually lend a lot of value to. Absolutely. And, and you know, it doesn't always have to be having all the answers, right? Um, right. So I'm looking at this data through the lens of, you know, on average, what are clients saying? But, you know, in a similar vein, when we're working directly with firms to gather input, our focus is on what do clients want, but then how are we going to respond to that? So can we can we target those clients who said job security for my children and share some content on that, right? So, you know, I think that at the advisor level, it's all very good to look at this overall data and think, oh, that might apply, but it's at the, at the business level. I think we've got to really do something with this insight. Right, right. Now, <clears throat> so, so, Clients are, are generally very satisfied with, you know, 87% were somewhat are very satisfied mm-hmm. with their advisor. Um, you asked also about a lot of um, specific ways that advisors supported clients. Was there anything interesting in, in, the, in the answers to those questions? Well, we, we really dug in on the client experience, right? So, We've been talking about this ad nauseum for the last eight, 18 months, right? We're all on Zoom. We're doing this. So, you know, it's, 
and in a way, um, and it's, you know, it's funny, I was just did a, a presentation on this topic of when a, when there's this exogenous shock to, to the system, we tend to focus on the foundation, right? Can I use Zoom? What about digital signatures? You know, what are all those things? But never has service been a driver of engagement. And really, that's all that is. And it's, it's harsh to say because it's been so difficult <laughs> to, to make this transformation. But at the end of the day, those things aren't going to drive deeper engagement. They're, they're, okay. they, they just change and they become table stakes. But right. sure. we, we were really interested in what has changed. And in particular, you know, are there things that I know, certainly I've heard a number of advisors say um, and wondered, is that an assumption we're making or is that the truth? And, and of course, the truth changes from one client to the next, but we did go deep on things like frequency of contact and, and how clients want to meet and that sort of thing. Um, so among the, the findings there, if you just take something as simple as how often would you like to meet? Now, not every client said, I want more contact, but about a quarter of them said, what I want for the next 12 months is actually a little more than I've had in the past. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so all that means to me mathematically is that the overall level has to increase. More hours are going to have to be invested, even if it's 25% of the clients. And and I think that that could change again, right? This could be just a reflection of vulnerability. Um, It could be demographics creeping in. um, But I think we are going to be meeting with clients uh, a little more or investing more time in that. Yeah, yeah. And 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 to your point, not you know that um, what what whatever the reality is changes from client to client, but it also changes over time. So yeah, as as you just pointed out, you know, coming through the pandemic, people may be a little more nervous and may want to meet a little bit more often. I I have zero doubts that the next time the big bear market shows up, they're going to yep. want to meet a whole lot more frequently. Right. And then you know when we get into the next ten year bull market, you know people will say, oh, once a year might be fine. So. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's it's so, but it's interesting that that uh, you know, even though we have this this relentlessly up market, that that people still want to potentially meet a little bit more frequently now. Well, they do because we still have issues with client self confidence, right? And this was okay. the big data point that came out of last year. Is we created a self confidence index. It's something we've been tracking for individual advisors and advisory firms for the last year. Um, and it, you know, it told us that irrespective of wealth, uh, clients were still feeling a bit insecure. We're feeling a bit out of control. There was lack of clarity. And, and to me, those are things they may not have ever labeled or even articulated, but it's what's going on beneath the surface. And when you say, do you need to meet a little more often? If I'm in that category, even just a little, yeah, yeah something's going on. I just, <laughs> right, you, sure. you know, and, yeah. and, and may not even have known that. Uh, so I think that's driving some of that as well. Interesting. And I know that you were asking about the forms of review of you know, how people meet as well. And um, uh, I think what what your study found was that people generally still prefer in person. Is that what you saw? Well, generally, yes. But I, I, to me, the, the finding and this mirrors what we've been finding with individual firms as well is that only 53% of clients said, I would prefer in-person 
when it's available. Um, the balance, so the 47% either were ambivalent, right? 11% had no preference. 23% uh, said more web meetings, please. Uh, we still have a group who liked the telephone. There you go. Um, <laughs> and it, so to me, that's a big, big difference, right? It doesn't mean it's the majority, but it's pretty darn close. And I do not think we would have seen this two years ago, right? This is, it's a shift that we, we kind of know about, I suppose. But this is one of those questions where, I feel like every firm needs to understand this because I hear way too much, oh, my clients all want to get back to in-person. Right. And maybe that's true. And there is a, there is a demographic skew for okay. sure, you know, okay. older, more in-person, absolutely. And so, but I don't think we can assume that that's the case. No, I don't, I don't think we can because um, <clears throat> um, I think I'm sure that, you know, these statistics are, are, accurate for your population but again when when i get into individual groups even old even older clients mm -hmm. have started saying a whole lot more frequently no let's let's do more of them by zoom that would be yeah. great so it, there are big differences from from client base to client base that's really interesting um so let's talk about um communications about what mm -hmm. what kinds of things advisors are, are talking about with their clients. I know that last year there were some particular things that, that people wanted to hear more about. Um, what did you find this year? What, what kinds of, was, was that consistent or were there different things this year that people want to hear about? Well, the overwhelming finding there, I think goes back to what we were actually talking about is that yes, there are differences, but they are all over the map, right? So the top three topics, um, is a reflection of not only the fact that there was a global pandemic, but a change in administration over the same period of time, right? So, so what they were telling us is that they were really interested in things like changes to tax legislation as a result of the new administration. Um, keeping data safe is still one of those evergreen topics that top the list, but health and wellness is still among the top uh, topics as it was. And, and again, this is, um, this is more likely to be one of the topics that has increased in interest since the pandemic started. So when you, you know, when you go down the list, it's not topics like, uh, you know, I, I want to understand the intricacies of the markets. It's financial legacy. It's, it's having a vision for my life and retirement. It's, you know, helping my kids make better financial decisions. We've always known that this is the case, but these are, these are the topics. Um, and hey, just one thing I, I, I really wanted to, to mention, if I can, is because going back to your previous questions about um, client experience, because there was a data point that for me, I'm not often surprised, but this was the, sort of the, the money shot as it, as okay. it were, um, because we did ask clients about their preferences around meetings, um, but we also asked them if they feel it's possible to have meaningful conversations virtually, because I think that is, okay. and this kind of hits at the referral yeah, side of things sure. too, right? 76% um, said yes. I can have meaningful conversations with my advisor virtually. So that wasn't muted at all. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's very, pretty clear. Yeah, right. Very clear. Um, and interestingly, it wasn't that the other quarter said no. Only 7% said no. 
because 17% said it's not applicable. I, um, you know, I just haven't met with my advisor. Like we haven't had that interaction or we're not meeting or something. So, you know, overwhelmingly, I think we can say that, um, that clients can be comfortable with this and that we can have the depth of conversation if we're doing it the right way. In fact, (laughs) when we ask them to rate the quality of virtual reviews compared to in-person, basically 73% said it's either the same or better. And there was 19% (laughs) who said it was better. Right. So just just under a quarter said it was less. So, again, all of this data, it doesn't mean you you don't have to go that path. It might be different, but it tells us that it's possible, uh, at least through the lens of the client. Interesting. Well, this is this is all great stuff, as always. Your 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 studies are some of the most valuable reads that advisors can do when you uh, when you bring these out. Um, You've got a model around this, uh, how you pull all this together and implement it called the Exceptional Advisor. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and then tell people where they can learn more about this, this study? Yeah, and, and look, on that, let me give the shout out entirely to the Investments and Wealth Institute. We partner with them on the research over the last number of years. And the Exceptional Advisor model really is their model. So we've worked very actively with them to incorporate the data. But, uh, but you can learn a lot about that model uh, on their site. And we'll make sure we include the link. And there's some further data on that model. So every year, we're sort of looking at the different components. But, you know, the, the, the quick version of that is that um, there are elements of the relationship that are foundational, expertise, ethics, right? Those sort of two big things, but that around that, um, uh, you know, there's varying degrees of interest in everything from guidance to service and so on and so forth. So they've really tried to create a framework for how you can think about being uh, an exceptional advisor. Cool. Well, Julie, thanks. Um, thanks for doing this. It, uh, like I said, it's a huge service to the industry. And, uh, and thanks for bringing it so we could spend an episode talking about it. Absolutely. Take care. See ya. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.